0: We all want to drink from the same cup of justice, and it starts with learning about our legal system. With tales from the newsroom and the courtroom, journalist Liz Farrell, attorney Eric Bland, and I invite you to gain knowledge, insights, and tools to hold public agencies and officials accountable. You will love our cup of justice shows on the new feed. We know that our justice systems are intimidating, but we all have to encounter it at one point. Together, our hosts create the perfect trifecta of legal expertise, journalistic integrity, and a fire lit to expose the truth wherever it leads. Search for Cup of Justice wherever you get your podcasts or visit cupofjusticepod.com.
1: Hello, this is an MTEL operator calling from Alvin S. Glenn Detention Center with a prepaid collect call from Alex. To accept this prepaid collect call, press 1. All phone calls are subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using Amtel.
0: I don't know if we will ever fully understand ELEC's ongoing schemes to hide the truth. But as a matter of public interest, the legal system seems to have fallen on the side of transparency. And after officials released the jailhouse phone call recordings, we now have a much clearer understanding of the suspended attorneys and volunteer solicitors' relationships, plots, and life behind bars. My name is Mandy Matney. I have been investigating the Murdoch family for more than three years now. This is the Murdoch Murders Podcast with David Moses and Liz Farrell. Mm So to start out, I have some really good news. Last week, Richland County officials told Fitz News and the Murdoch Murders podcast they decided to release Alec Murdoch's jailhouse phone calls. And that is a big deal. We would like to applaud Chris Ziegler, the Richland County Assistant Attorney, for doing the right thing. And we also want to thank our MMP supporters who are following us on social media and wrote to public officials and applied the right amount of pressure in this case. This decision shows the world that sunlight and transparency can ultimately prevail. And now, at least some SE officials want to be on the right side of history. So after waiting all weekend and convincing ourselves that we were fooled and the tapes were never coming, the U.S. Postal Service brought us a whole lot of sunshine in the form of five sparkling, rewritable CDs. (laughs) Remember those? Yes. Richland County government uses CD-ROMs delivered by mail, technology that was available when I was in elementary school, to fulfill their FOIA requests, but I will complain about that another day. Both the Fitznews and MMP teams have been working tirelessly, listening to hours and hours of phone calls between Alec and his family members. Just as we anticipated, The phone calls were full of newsworthy information, and we will place some of those clips here in a minute. We have maintained from the beginning that these tapes are important to holding Ellic and the legal system accountable, and we believe it now, more than ever, because of the tricks Dick and Jim tried in keeping the tapes from being made public. Other podcasters and critics on social media seemed to think we were never getting the tapes, and that we were out of line even asking for them in the first place. They even erroneously claimed that the lawsuit had the chance of making case law in federal court. And mainstream media remained silent as Dick and Jim used the federal court system to prevent us from hearing Ellick's calls. It's going to be really interesting to see whether those podcasters and other media outlets also requested the tapes. While we believe in the public's right to access public information, this one hits a little differently for us. Because Wall Fitz News and the Murdoch Murders podcast fought to get those tapes, the vast majority of South Carolina journalists covering this case did nothing. Not even a supportive tweet or even a behind the scenes were with you on this. In the South Carolina Press Association, who called themselves Defenders of the Freedom of Information Act, did nothing. And that's shameful, in my opinion, and honestly shows how deep the corruption goes in this state. And for me, it confirmed what I had been suspecting. The SE Press Association is probably a part of the good old boy system too. I say all of this... Because I'm sure other podcasters and YouTubers and documentarians and other true crime hacks are going to play these tapes without acknowledging in the very least bit the work the Fitz News did to keep this case in the sunlight. And now the rest of those hacks will likely profit off of the hard work of others, which is unfortunately the sad state of media today. So before we get into the calls, I would like to kindly suggest that those listening to this podcast subscribe to Fitznews.com and show your support for the media outlet in South Carolina fighting for the truth and transparency. So the calls. To give you an idea of what we're working with here, we had 11 phone calls for the last episode that we did on the jailhouse tapes back in February. Those calls were chosen because they were either mentioned in the prosecution's memo for LX bond reconsideration hearing or they occurred on a date that held significance. After we received those calls several months ago, we filed an additional Freedom of Information Act for the rest of the calls between October and February. In total, we listened to more than 100 jailhouse phone calls in the last few days. We have also filed FOIAs for recent phone calls, but we anticipate it'll be a while before we receive those. As expected, the phone calls were dense and it was really hard to get through one without stopping and saying, what did he just say? Not only were they difficult to hear, they were packed with information. And I'll be honest here, the calls were very emotional at times. For the first time in all of my reporting, I started to understand why Alec was loved and believed by so many around him. Human beings are complicated, and with Alec, it's hard to understand a man accused of such horrific crimes could also be this guy who appears to show genuine concern and love for his family members.
2: All right, man, I love you. All right, love you, too. I'm proud of you. I'm sorry you had not do all this stuff. It's okay. You can always say that. But anyway, I love you. All right, love you, too. I'm very proud of you. Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye. So for a few short moments, I was almost fooled myself. Could I be wrong about this guy? His family? But don't worry, that didn't last long. Alec Murdoch is still hustling. Hey, Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Good, good.
2: Hey, um, Lizzie, what information do you have to have to put money on Candy? Um,
1: I don't, I don't have to put any. I mean, I've got, I got the website, um, so I can re-up it.
2: No, no, no. Here's what I'm really asking. You remember me telling you about the, 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 the guy, Clarence, is called, he's called a runaround. He's the guy that does all the stuff, and he's the guy that helps me get books and all that.
1: Yeah, that one that get me in.
2: That's right. That's right. And, and he scurries around in a wheelchair. I, I mean, he does so much for me, I'd like to give him a little Christmas present. The only thing I can give him is some money on his canteen, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what you would have to have to put a little bit of money on his account? What information you would have to have? Oh,
1: um, I would need to know, like his number.
2: Okay, like his, that, that six-digit number.
1: Yeah, that six-digit number,
2: and That's it? and
1: then I would, well, what is his full name?
2: Like first and, and last or full name.
1: Um, probably just first and last.
2: His name is Clarence Hair, like H-A-I-R. But I'll get his number.
1: Let me, um, if you want, if you can hang on one second, I can go down to my computer and see if I can uh, just type it in. Got
2: nothing but time.
0: He's still gambling. Um, what are you doing?
2: I just finished playing a little poker. I didn't, I told you my canteen got screwed up this week, right? Yeah, you did. So I didn't play
1: anything,
2: so I've been having to play chess and cards and talk and poker for Canteen items, I'm about to stock back up.
0: He's still enjoying his jail snacks.
2: You know, the food's so bad, but Jim put some money on this canteen, so hopefully, I, I ordered it today. They say, hopefully, it'll come Thursday. I mean, Monday. And what little is, food like Pop Tarts and some potatoes oh and stuff to eat? I mean, you know, this food, you can't eat it in jail.
0: He still loves explaining canteens to his family members and those beef sticks. All
2: right, the canteen is you go to this kiosk. You know what a kiosk is, right? Yeah. It's like a little computer machine. out. I know what a kiosk is. All right, so you go to the kiosk and you place your order, all right? And you can order any array of things like um, hygiene products, um, this, that, the other. Then they got... You know all these foods, potato chips, a, a bunch of varieties of potato chips, summer sausage, beef sticks, crackers, and you can order, but you can only order sixty dollars worth. And you order like you have to order by Wednesday, and the canteen delivers on Monday. So like on Monday they bring you a big bag or whatever you ordered. You so you got sixty dollars per transaction, or like sixty dollars a week, or a week. $60 a week.
0: He's still working out and talking about it a lot, like every phone call practically.
1: When you exercise, do you do it with a buddy or like that's in your pod or you just do it by yourself?
2: <laughs> you always kill me with your questions. <laughs> do I exercise with my buddy? <laughs> no. I usually, well, I usually try to do it in my room. hours. It takes me an hour to do those up-downs or burpees, as you call them, and the mountain climbers. It takes me about an hour to do those 12 sets. And then I run in place, you know, and and do stuff with my arms for about 20.
0: He's still getting into some rather alarming mishaps.
2: What was the Alabama final? What?
0: Like 31 to 10?
2: That's what I thought, something like that. You believe what I did. I have finished doing my exercises, and I went to go get in the shower before the food comes. There's no officer here. And damn if I didn't lock myself out. I'm standing here with no clothes on. Yeah, I got damn you. pie. I mean, I got, like, stuff over my bottom, but you got no damn job. What y'all doing?
0: Okay, I have to repeat that. Alec Murdoch locked himself out of jail with no clothes on. And he wanted to chit-chat with Buster about the Alabama score before telling him about his predicament. And we will be right back. Thank you for listening to the Murdoch Murders Podcast, the show that started it all. These 93 episodes will take you on a journey of twists and turns, ups and downs, Tears and belly laughs in this first podcast. We expose the truth wherever it leads, give voice to victims and get the story straight. We continue this mission with our newest evolution, true sunlight. Luna sharks, true sunlight podcast is the antithesis of true crime. True sunlight values accuracy over access journalism. True sunlight is shed with empathy, not exploitation. True Sunlight is the intersection of journalism, true crime, and systemic corruption. We continue to shed light on Stephen Smith's case and Alex Murdoch's co-conspirators. But also, we like to take deep dives into other cases around the country. True Sunlight empowers listeners to understand their legal and judicial systems with our unique brand of pesky journalism. Listen to True Sunlight wherever you get your podcast, or visit truesunlight.com to learn more. Okay, so all jokes aside, Alec Murdoch is still up to the same head-scratching schemes, and we will get back to this one in another episode.
2: Do a three-way and get Jim on the phone. Why? Just I want to see if I'm crazy or that's what he told us.
0: And he's also still manipulating his family. All
2: right, can you call John? I, I I got two minutes, and I'm not gonna be able to make another call. I need twenty eight dollars on the canteen because it's Thanksgiving. The deadline is ten o'clock in the morning, so I need to order it tonight because I'm not gonna get out in the morning. Um, okay, I'll um twenty eight dollars and you. tell them. That, I mean, my status changed, but they haven't implemented it yet, so I haven't had any time. Tell John that I'll be calling him tomorrow. I'll be calling you tomorrow. I'm sending you a letter. Where do you want me to send it? To John Town? John's house? John's house. All right. And um, to their favor, I usually text Randy and Lynn on the weekend. Will you text yeah, them that and end? tell them I haven't been able to use the phone, and I'll give them a call when I can? Um, yeah. All right. So text Randy and Lynn, John Marvin, $28 is the most important thing. That needs to be done right now. Okay. And... I'll call you in the morning. All right. So what am I texting Randy and Lynn? Just tell them. I normally call them on the weekends, but I haven't been able to call them. Just tell them I haven't been able to call. I can only talk for a second, and I'll give them a call when I can. Okay. And John Marvin put $28 on my canteen. John Marvin and Lynn, they both know how to do it, on my canteen account. Okay. And I love you. Tell Brooklyn, hey, I love her, and I'll call you tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, should have a lot more time. Remember I told okay. you Thursday I was? Yep. But it hadn't come into fruition yet, but it should tomorrow. Okay. All right, I love you. All right, love you
0: too. Bye. Even aside from the double homicide and the mysterious death surrounding his family, Alec is accused of some very ruthless behavior. And you think about all of the victims who have been pulled into Alec's mess and who have never been the same. You think of people like the Beach family and everything Alec has put them through in refusing to admit fault in his son's boat crash and not settling in the lawsuit. Then you hear one of the very first phone calls Alec placed while in jail and you remember why this guy is where he is.
3: We don't have the very first phone call Alec made from jail, because Richland County held back a number of calls citing various FOIA exemptions. But we do have the second call, and it was rather unsettling. You know how you know you know something, but then you find out you didn't really know because you didn't hear it for yourself? We knew Alec was accused of going on a liquidation spree, and turning his assets into cash to allegedly keep his money away from the Beach family and other victims and other potential creditors. We also know that he had been accused of prioritizing creditors, like friends and family and Palmetto State Bank. But hearing someone accuse Alec of doing this and then hearing Ellik do it are two different things. Let's set the scene for you. Sometime after Ellick was photographed at a Bucky's somewhere near Orlando, he was arrested October 14th, 2021, and then extradited to South Carolina. On October 19th, he was denied bond, much to his surprise. And he was awaiting the results of a psychiatric evaluation for the judge to reconsider his decision. Ellick's second call from jail was made two days after this. He's still in quarantine for COVID. And according to a form we received in March from a FOIA we sent to the jail, Ellick was in protective custody because the jail was concerned for his safety. But also, Ellick had signed an affidavit asking for them to drop protective custody. And he did this right away, even before the hearing. Now, John Marvin, Ellick's younger brother, is with his family in Sedona, Arizona. John Marvin is married to a woman named Liz. And on this trip, they've brought three kids and a buster. You guys remember the Las Vegas photo of Buster and John Marvin gambling? That was taken just before this. Okay, so again, this is his second call from jail. To us, it seems like you know, kind of a pretty big deal that he's a Murdoch and now he's calling from jail as if he's at a hotel and nothing's out of the ordinary. But he's just like, hey, what's happening? Also, he wastes absolutely no time in getting to the point. Oh, and the point is to quickly liquidate his assets and keep them away from the victims and potential creditors who aren't his friends, family, or Palmetto State Bank.
2: Hey, man, how you doing? I hope I'm not calling you too early out there. No, no, we've been up for a while. We just got through eat breakfast and... What time is it out there now? Uh, It's almost 9. Okay. 10 fourth. Yeah, how um, you doing? How's Buster? He's good. He's good. He's doing well. He's out there. Hey, John. Yep. In court the other day, they made a big deal about things. They're going to be moving to try to prevent us from selling stuff. Right. We need to... To get as much as we can completed, and on that note, um, did Mark Ball ever respond to you? Um, he did not. I'll, I'll follow up with that this morning. Well, I just know that they're getting ready. And I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a day or a week or you know two weeks. And you know, I mean, they would theoretically have to serve me or Buster. But, you know, right. Should accept service? Well, let me ask you a question, Alex. So, the, um, I'll follow up with, with Randy and Mark on that. But the, the dump truck and excavator, yeah. what are your, do you have an issue if I buy them and no. put the money towards it? No, no issue at all.
3: This seems super generous, right? And maybe it even makes sense because John Marvin owns a heavy equipment rental and sales center. But by buying the equipment, John Marvin is expediting the situation while keeping the assets in the family. Time is of the essence here because Mark Tinsley and the court are closing in. Now remember, Alec and John Marvin are very aware they are being recorded. Or rather, they're intermittently aware. And I say that because there's no other explanation for how they go in and out of saying something that would be dumb to say on the record, while also saying things that sound like they're playing to the audience. I also want to note, Ellick and Randolph took out a $600,000 line of credit from Palmetto State Bank. In September, a month before this phone call, the bank put a claim in against Randolph's estate. These guys were selling LX assets to pay back that debt. So there would be no claim against the estate, which these guys will be inheriting anyway.
2: I mean, that's, I mean, that'll be the the easiest way to do a, a, you know, a a sale. I mean, if you you need them, don't do it just to help me. Well, I'll, um, you know, I, I haven't communicated with anybody since i left. But when I left, I didn't have any buyers on either, on those two. Yeah. Like I say, don't do that. I mean, if you well, want to. Right. Shit, I'll give them to you. No, no. Nope, not going to do that. But, okay, well, I know what to do, and I'll, I'll be working on right you. I'm serious. Do you need them, John Marvin? No I, I, no, I don't need them. I just. It, or it if you be, have a use for them, I promise you, uh, I'll give them to you. Well, but I'm not going to do that. So, either way, so I'm going to follow up and see if I've got any, any real leads on them. And you might speak to Jim if you get a chance. Just to yep. find out what kind of time frame he thinks before they get any kind of order preventing us from doing anything. Okay. And I mean, well, I'm know, just I'm just doing doing everything by the book and um, yeah, and it's and going to It ain't like we're squirreling it away. It's going to pay bank stuff. Well, it goes to the unsecured note. So so everything else has something securing it. So it makes sense. that Unsecured items would go to an unsecured note.
3: So basically, what these guys were doing, according to this call, this is exactly why Mark Tinsley filed a motion to freeze his assets and why he wanted to have a receivership appointed. What's annoying is this. Think about all the drama that has surrounded this receivership. About how LX attorneys John Tiller and then Dick and Jim argued that it would set a dangerous precedent. How they tried to get it dismissed. How John Marvin did two interviews allegedly trying to set the record straight on the whole thing. He actually lamented to one newspaper that he was nothing but transparent in this apparent scheme to pay back the bank to keep creditors away from the family's trust. Clearly, Mark Tinsley's idea for a receivership was a smart one. It definitely rattled them. Also sending shockwaves through the Murdoch clan, Mr. Eric Bland. We'll be right back.
0: If you remember, by October of last year, Eric Bland had emerged as a central player of the Murdoch's opposing team. Nearly every day in October, Eric Bland was making headlines in the press for his direct and fiery quotes about Elick Murdoch. Like, there's no bottom to him, and he is a liar and a cheat. In fact, Eric played an important role of applying pressure to SLED to arrest Elick Murdoch for the Gloria Satterfield case. To everyone's surprise, that arrest is what landed Elick behind bars for the foreseeable future. In a call on October 23rd, Buster expressed concern over the upcoming receivership hearing, something Eric was very vocal about as he was advocating for all of the victims in this case, not just his clients.
2: Yeah, man, doing good. Just, you know, the new developments with the motions and everything, trying to get us to quit selling stuff. I don't know really what that's going to have in store. Yeah, I told y'all that was coming.
3: Yeah, man, this is
2: Eric. This yeah, Eric, JT. I uh, said that was coming. No, I just saw it on Twitter. No, I called Jim Marvin the other day to tell to tell him he needed to do it as quickly as possible because they were going to be doing it any day, making yeah. a motion. So this Eric this Eric Bland guy seems like a real a real charm. Well, you know, this is just five minutes in the sun, you know. Yeah. I can't believe John didn't tell you that I said that the other day. Whatever day I called, when I went to court, that afternoon when I called on Wednesday, I mean, I don't know if there's anything to be done, but told him we need to get in touch with Mark Ball, get that fund, get it on that thing. I didn't know how quickly it was going to be done. I said it could be any day now. It could be three days. It could be a week, but it was coming. Well, it's done now. So no reason to threaten over it. No, he's filed a motion. He doesn't have an order yet. No, I know. I understand that it it's not ruled upon. So, uh, and I would think they got to serve me to do it. Well, they should have to serve one of us if they're going to stop if they're going to stop me from doing something. Well, they can only serve you if you accept service. They can't serve you. I guess they can serve you individually to keep you from doing anything as power of attorney. But that'll keep John Marvin from selling the shit, you know? I mean, the shit that ain't got titles,
0: especially. The plan to sell off assets and move money quickly appears to have involved Ellick's former law partner, Mark Ball, in some way. Though, according to the calls, Ball had not been returning the family's phone calls during the conversation on October 23rd. Mark
3: Ball's name should sound familiar. He was allegedly involved in the old jellyfish gambit. He was also Alec's colleague at PMPED. His name also came up in the first round of calls that we played in the last episode on the phone calls. It sounded like Mark Ball was cutting a very important check for Alec Murdoch just days after a receivership was in place. Whatever Ball was doing, Alec wanted it done fast. But I just told um, John, we need to, they're gonna
2: move to try to stop us from selling stuff. We need to get, if Mark and them are going to do that, they need to do it. We need to get that on that note ASAP and get the boat money on that note ASAP. Um, You know, I don't know if it's going to be a day or a week or two weeks, but they're going to move to stop us from selling assets.
3: Anyway, during this call, Alex says something worth noting about John Marvin to his son.
2: Uh, Yeah, well, you know, John Marvin's too scared to do anything that's teetering. Uh I said, John Marvin's too afraid to do anything that's teetering. You know what I mean? Did he follow up with Mark Ross? No, I mean, yeah, we've, we've reached out to Mark, but he won't get back in touch with us. He's been that way for two weeks. Huh? I said, we've, we've been reaching out to Mark, but he won't get back in touch with us. He's been that way for two weeks. Well, he doesn't sure respond. Sure doesn't respond know. to our emails or or our calls. What Randy won't do anything with it? Um... No, I, mean, I think Randy's trying to help. I just, you know, I don't think you'll talk to Randy either.
0: Eric Bland also came up during one of Ellick's many phone calls with his sister in law, Liz, who was John Marvin's wife. Now, Ellick talks to Liz Murdoch a lot. He has a close relationship with his sister in law we mentioned liz murdoch in the last jailhouse phone call episode when Alec was trying to get her to put money on his buddy's canteen which is against the rules by the way so by november Alec murdoch had been publicly accused of a lot of horrible things he was accused of stealing millions of dollars from clients including his dead housekeeper's family and an injured state trooper he was also charged in those crimes and there is a paper trail of evidence supporting those charges. I say this because at this point, Liz Murdoch should have known that her brother-in-law has some serious issues and has done some inexcusable things. Yet on the phone, especially during this conversation Thanksgiving week, she appears to support him 100%. And she doesn't even seem to mind when Alec asked her to do things for him.
2: I gotta get emails, will you do me a favor? Yeah. Will you send me a letter with everybody's email address, you know, um, really yours and Buster's and John Marvin's can send it to me first, but rather than having to do another one, just send me everybody's email. And there's a machine that we can have video calls, Without having Mm to come here to do a video call, oh
1: okay, I've got to figure out how to
2: work the machine and how to pay for it and all that.
1: Okay, so
0: um, what emails do you want me to
1: send? i got a pencil handy
0: now in november attorneys dick harputlian and jim griffin were busy fighting for Alec murdoch both in the civil and criminal court but eric bland was a big problem for them at nearly every turn remember dick and jim filed a motion to dismiss the satterfield lawsuit because basically other people paid for his thievery in response bland called Alec despicable and a coward all over the media Dick and Jim were also filing paperwork in an attempt to get Elick out of jail, which Bland called a desperate act by a desperate man. It was very clear that Bland was a huge problem for Team Murdoch in November, and Dick and Jim made a shocking move then to not only silence Eric Bland, but they filed a complaint with the bar to go after his law license which is lower than low. Anyways, this November 23rd call from Liz Murdoch shows just how loyal the family is to Alec. I'm excited about that gag order.
2: Oh, yeah, Jim and Dick told you about that?
1: No, it's it's already online, but it's already online. Oh, it is? Yeah.
2: All right.
1: Um, that it made me happy.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know. He, uh, he. They tell me he's been running his mouth. Yeah,
1: just ruthlessly.
2: Huh?
1: Ruthlessly,
2: just,
1: uh. just kind of like venom. Like he's a snake, spitting
0: out venom every every other word. Ellick and Liz Murdoch talk a lot. We'll get into more about their relationship in another episode. But he tends to open up. He tends to open up to her about stuff that he just really doesn't talk about in detail with his other family members. Like, for instance, his little roadside shooting incident. Okay, this is something else I've been wondering. He said that you you went blind.
2: Say again?
1: When you got shot, he said that you you went blind. I don't know for how long.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't see for, I don't know, I guess a minute, minute and a half, maybe.
1: Two minutes. A minute. I mean, do you feel
3: like you were near death and that you were seeing the light? No. Sometimes it's hard to remember that there are a handful of people out there who actually believe that Alec got injured in a failed suicide for hire plot. We can't say Liz Murdoch isn't devoted to her cause, but she's gone a little too far imagining any scenario in which Alec Murdoch hits his head and angels start playing their welcoming harps. You and I both know Heaven went into DEFCON 1 shutdown mode the second he got a little woozy from the, quote, entrance and exit wounds.
0: Now remember, Alec's attorneys claimed in the media that his injuries were much more serious than originally reported, and they said he was lucky to be alive. But Alec describes it differently.
2: No, it wasn't that bad. It just, I guess it was the impact. I mean, I wasn't seeing light. I was seeing dark,
0: you know.
2: I mean, the first thing, you know, I mean, the first thing I thought was... You
1: have one minute remaining.
2: And then I'm like, I know I'm not dead because, you know, I mean, I just, I mean, I remember touching my head. And I remember, I mean, I remember thinking the back of my head's blown off and I'm going to be blind. And then... You know, it slowly started come back. I could stand up because it knocked me down, mm-hmm. and then I could stand up. I knew I was standing up, and you know, then I, I I think I kind of went to one knee, and you know, I couldn't see, and I was trying to. it didn't take it didn't take long at all before it started improving.
0: He claims he initially thought his injury was a lot worse than it actually was.
2: I couldn't see. I mean, now for a second I thought to myself, you know, am I dead? It didn't take me long to realize I wasn't dead. Then the next thing that that occurred is, oh, my God, I'm really going to be messed up. I'm going to be blind, you know. And then it started quickly Coming back, but I mean, I mean, I I could reach back and feel my head, and I knew my head wasn't missing. You know, I mean, I could tell yep. it was bleeding, but I could tell like it wasn't like a big section of my head blown off.
0: Alex then describes what sounds like an extremely miraculous bullet to head trajectory.
2: It, you know, it never hit my brain. You know that, right?
0: Um.
2: So here's. Well, actually, way. I guess I thought I
1: thought that it didn't hit your brain because.
2: No, listen here. All right, so you know how fast a bullet comes out of a gun, right?
1: Yeah. All
2: right, so it hits my head. It goes into my skin and puts a hole and kind of goes around my skull and comes out an inch and a half, two inches further away. So I had an entry and an exit wound. But it didn't go, it didn't penetrate my skull. It, it it cracked it a little bit, and the force caused me to have a, a, two brain bleeds. But, you know, all a brain bleed is is a bruise on the brain. hmm So, I mean, I don't think it was anything permanent. I don't feel dumber or hindered or anything like that. But, no, this wasn't like, okay, things go dark, and... I see the light and I'm going to the light it went dark and I couldn't see shit and then it started <laughs> lightening up and I could see things around me you know what I'm saying? yeah well I maybe mean, no, but I, mean, I yeah. think it was just the impact from the force of the bullet that knocked me down and probably I don't know I guess sight is somewhere back there and it it interrupted it for a little while. Mm. Uh, well, i tell you all the details when I see you.
0: That's another thing about these calls that we realize. realized. Alec believed he was getting out of jail. He kept saying, I don't want to get my hopes up. But at the same time, he kept saying things like, when I get out of here a lot of times followed up with phrases like, I'll tell you about the things I can't say over the phone. And just so his lawyers know, because they tried to argue the opposite, Ellik was very much aware that he was being recorded and his phone calls were being listened to.
2: I mean, you know, every one of these phone calls is recorded and you know that, you know that, um, they're listening to them.
1: Yeah, well i knew that they were recorded i didn't know if they really care to I promise I talk about- listen to promise you
2: they're listening to mine
0: as you can see there is so much more to unpack in these calls and that's what we're going to keep doing so much reporting has gone into this story and the phone calls are yet another layer of this unfolding saga There are a lot of connections to make and a lot of questions to ask, and that's what we will continue doing. There's a lot going on with things like Buster getting back into law school, and we will talk about everything that was said and not said about Maggie and Paul. We have a lot more calls to share with you. Stay tuned. It is not often I get to share really great news in this saga, but I have some for you today. The Satterfield family, with the help of their amazing attorneys Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter, are starting a foundation in honor of Gloria Satterfield.
1: Not to forget their community, the Satterfield family is creating a charitable foundation known as Gloria's Gift Foundation and it will aid struggling Hampton County families at Christmas. In a recent release, Bland and Richter announced a foundation that will be formed in Gloria's honor that will initially be funded by some of the settlement proceeds received by Gloria's sons and her surviving siblings. The foundation will be for the exclusive benefit of underprivileged Hampton County families, the good, God-fearing, law-abiding, and hard-working people who struggle like Gloria did, to make ends meet.
0: I am honored that the Satterfields invited me to speak at the ceremony this Thursday at the Stanley Arts Center in Hampton, South Carolina. I am so grateful to be a part of this event, symbolizing changing tides and better days ahead for Hampton County. Stay tuned to Fitznews.com for updates and video of this event. The Murdoch Murders Podcast is created by me, Mandy Matney, and my fiancé, David Moses. Our executive editor is Liz Farrell.
1: Produced by Luna Shark Productions.